Okay, boomer. Wait, Reed, you're not a boomer. You're a Gen Xer, right? That's right. The millennials are now calling us something as offensive as okay, boomer. We're the Karen generation. Not caring, Karen. As in a privileged, middle-aged white woman who is always asking for the manager and wondering why kids are so obsessed with their identities. Well, somebody said Gen X lives by a code, and that code is, wasn't me. While the label can be applied to anyone, the image is generally of a shrill woman. Well, there you go. It's not me. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. And welcome, welcome, welcome back to episode number 146 of Touchpoint guess you're not coming back to episode 146. You're just coming back to Touchpoint. But in any case, we're glad you're here. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I wonder if people do actually go back and listen to podcasts over again. Then that would make sense then. But I feel like I'm talking to a uh, probably a small subset of the population when I'm walking back to a certain episode. Well, I mean, for those of you who are re-listening in. <laughs> Welcome back. Or just welcome. Uh, in either case, uh, we're glad you're here or here again. And uh, we want to plug the website real quick, touchpoint.health. Uh, jump out there, rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcast. Sign up for the TPS report. Check out some of the other shows. All that kind of good stuff. We certainly appreciate it. Go visit the sponsors. That's always important. And uh, I think we've got another good episode today. But before we dive into that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Later on in the episode, we're going to be featuring an interview that we picked up at one of the conferences that we were at when I met, sat down with our good friend, Dan Dunlop. Love Dan. And one of his coworkers, Kate Gilmer, they actually presented at the recent Mayo Clinic social media conference about digital marketing and population health. So later on in the episode, we're going to be talking about some of the case studies that they presented on. It's really interesting. It's always great to hear Dan present. He's done some really cool things uh, over at his firm and uh, works with some really cool people across the country. So looking forward to that. Before we get to the interview, though, I I thought you and I can talk a little bit about population health, the whole concept of population health. It's a big topic, isn't it? It is a big topic. I won't hold it against you if you fast forward to the interview, because uh, this is not something that I have spent a lot of time with in cursory levels. And, and I think that's probably true for a lot of marketing communication professionals. You know, it's like we hear about population health. That seems like that's probably someone else's job, but like I'm not entirely sure. 
the same holds true for me. In a cursory way, I have, in my experience at hospitals and health systems, have sat down opposite uh, population health teams and talked a lot about, you know, trying to get a good understanding of how the things that I do can apply to them. I always think that digital marketing has some kind of intersection with some of the work that they're doing, but I think it's only just recently that we're starting to see more of that convergence of digital and population health. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, when I was sat down across from them, it was very much a different kind of language they were speaking. Probably still is to some degree, I guess. But you're right. I think digital is making a lot of this converge, and that's obviously why we're talking about it. To kind of level set us, uh, you've got an article here, what is population health from the CDC? And so uh, let's hit that definition real quick. The CDC views population health as an interdisciplinary, customizable approach that allows health departments to connect practice to policy for change to happen locally. This approach utilizes non-traditional partnerships among the different sectors of the community, things like public health, industry, academia, healthcare, local government, uh, et cetera, to achieve positive health outcomes. So population health brings significant health concerns into focus and addresses ways that resources can be allocated over uh, to overcome the problems that drive poor health conditions in a particular population. So there's a lot there in that definition that really kind of clarifies what it is. The partnership with different sectors in the community. A lot of times population health comes out of the community health aspects of what we do. You know, those partnerships with local community groups, it could be faith-based organizations, it could be, you know, organizations that focus on populations that traditionally don't have access to care. Uh, The other thing too is in some cases that I've interacted with, they also reach out to those municipalities, to the local governments or the the local council members to develop specific programs that are focusing on things like teen pregnancy, perhaps, or vaccination outreach. Here in Minnesota, they do a lot of vaccination outreach to the Somalian population. And these are all things kind of under this whole umbrella of what they call population health. Yeah, I think that last part of that definition, I think, really kind of crystallizes it for me. But it's the idea of, again, taking what it would be a, considered a significant health concern, you know, elevating that, right? And then looking for ways that through all these partnerships that it can be addressed to help overcome, you know, what, what in this case would be that poor health condition for a particular population. The CDC goes a little bit further and distinguishes population health from public health. Let's just also address that just so we get all on the same page here. Public health works to protect and improve the health of communities through policy recommendations, health education and outreach, and research for disease detection and injury protection. And it could really be defined as what we as a society do collectively to assure the conditions in which people can be healthy. On the other hand, though, population health provides an opportunity for health systems, agencies, and organizations to work together to improve public health outcomes. So public health is like the sort of the larger umbrella of making sure that our populations, our communities that we serve are generally healthy. Population health are actually the specific programs that hospitals do with other agencies to address those outcomes. Obviously, they sound very similar in some instances, but I think what you said right there is the key takeaway. It's programmatically, how do we participate and partner with others and other entities within the, within the population or within the community to try to overcome some of these health concerns? As we're going through these definitions, a lot of times me as a digital marketer and, and, and digital marketing organizations across the country... We often look at what we're doing is we're trying to connect people that are online looking for care to the right health solutions, right? I mean, that's sort of that higher purpose of what we do. And we've mentioned that in a couple of episodes before, Reed. It's almost like that we as digital marketers, sometimes, I mean, obviously, we do a lot of patient acquisition and branding efforts and things like that. But there are some aspects of what we do that align very closely to pop health work, it's just surprising to me that we're not like working together collaboratively in those in that way. But I don't think it's terribly surprising in the sense that everything is relatively siloed, as we've talked about historically. So people are used to doing the same thing the same way that they always have. 
as we think about some of these initiatives, ideas, you know, whatever it is, you know, some of the quality stuff, uh, which maybe even this fits into, you know, that's not somewhere we've historically participated. It's just you're kind of resetting uh, the way we think. I mean, think about some of the tools that we use, Reed. We like we use CRM, and what do we do with our CRM? We actually try to identify and segment target audiences that would be most receptive to our messages. Well, flip the script from patient acquisition to population health management. We're using the same tools. We're using email marketing, mobile messaging to reach these audiences and maybe bring them to online resources where they can see stuff. Social media. I mean, if you go through our whole toolkit of what we use in digital marketing, there are strong correlations from those tool sets for digital marketing to population health. It's just using them slightly different ways. Let's look at this this second article that you that you found. Uh, it's called Population Health Management in the New Digital Age. And yeah, new digital age. Is that like new age, new digital age? Is that like Goop or online yoga classes? I'm not sure. Well, it was written by a, <laughs> uh, a guy named uh, Graham Head, and this is uh, he's over in the UK. But uh, to your point, when you found this, I uh, thought there were some kind of applicable pieces to the article that made a lot of sense that uh, you know we could look at as it relates to population health here in the States. In many countries where there's different types of care structures, those are that are funded by the government and they're more advanced because they're, they've already been working in what they call the value-based care system for a while. That is a public extension of the government. This article that we'll link to, it has a PDF that you can download. He starts off by saying that with the stress on this new digital revolution, I guess digital being now just ubiquitous into our lives, the empowerment of the individual and the use of large data sets to discover patterns informing prevention and care will impact existing healthcare information systems to ultimately make them more and more relevant. Clearly, what he's talking about here is like Facebook and Google, right? <laughs> Point is, is that now that we use digital and everyone's using digital at such a huge way, we are now in this new era. This is his new digital age where there's data, there's resources, there's a variety of other things that we can now use specifically for population health management. Yeah. And I think this moves us past some of what we, to his point, you know, potentially making some of this stuff irrelevant, the predictive modeling and and some of the things that we're seeing, just the amount of data, I guess, that's available to us at this point, it, it becomes very interesting. In his white paper, he actually talks about three major things that can have a dramatic impact to population health management. Spoiler alert for those listening in, we've covered these in other episodes. These are things we've talked about. First one he uh, references here is artificial intelligence or AI. I guess you could kind of couple machine learning in with that as well, maybe a little bit. It's kind of the engine that powers AI. In many cases, it seems likely that such a solution could readily sit alongside or as part of more traditional population health management systems, providing additional analysis of data. Uh, just as other tools currently do. It can also make insights available through the system to clinicians and managers using the existing tools alongside the range of other patient and population level metrics that are already calculated rather than requiring additional suite of business uh, intelligent dashboards. In kind of the predictive nature of things, this is an opportunity, I think, with AI to certainly outwardly serve, but also, like he says in here, providing additional analysis uh, alongside. The implication here is that traditionally population health initiatives have been very data intensive, but now with artificial intelligence machine learning tools available, those large data sets that are digital in nature can be parsed and sorted to find trends, to find things. It's similar to like we heard about Google uh, being able to predict where flu outbreaks might be by people searching mm-hmm. on Google. Or in the last episode when we were talking about Facebook being a little bit more predictive about things. And in the same case... Using these tools now, AI, machine learning, within population health systems that hospitals, health systems are doing, now suddenly we have the ability to very quickly target and access data and identify trends. That's a really good use case for AI. So, Reed, why don't we jump into the other two areas that he talks about and then also get into some challenges and things like that right after the break. 
coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Before the break, we touched on the first of three, artificial intelligence. Let's jump into the second one now, the Internet of Things, or IoT. That's a big I, a little O, big T. I don't want to presume here. And so Internet of Things is uh, a lot of the connected devices that we think about in our lives, things like voice and and whatnot. But now you're starting to see it in healthcare with some of the things that are uh, connected and controlled, like maybe insulin pumps or, or IVs or you know whatever it is. But combining IoT data, he talks about it, with existing information already held in population health management systems may enable new insights to be derived. So from a clinician's perspective, uh, a review of trends in the individual's heart rate, activity levels, temperature, for example, you know, could be something of interest, obviously. Even where there's justifiable concerns about absolute accuracy, some of the trackers uh, in commodity smart brands tends to analysis. It, it, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, we have some real-time information potentially. Is it like 100% accurate? I don't know if it is or not, but I think monitoring uh, that data, you know, he talks about professionals uh, being able to respond in emergency situations and, and things like that. We know that these devices are all over. We're wearing them on our wrists. We're keeping them in our pockets. They're listening to us when we sleep. There's smart beds now. Smart beds. That understand like our sleeping patterns. It's amazing. Kind of curious to get one. There are many people now that are tracking their data stats throughout the day in ways that have never been able to be tracked before. From a population health perspective, wouldn't that be amazing? And it was, you know, like maybe eight years ago, I heard about like, oh, well, we're going to give everybody a pedometer to understand (laughs) where they walk. We now have IoT. We can have clothing that tells you how not only they walk, but how they're exercising. Yeah, perspiration levels and all this stuff and you know, everybody wants a new Apple Watch. Well, I mean, that's what this is. It's much more than that, right? It's getting into your devices, uh, you know, your your smart refrigerators. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, if you the way we're starting to track everything, and by the way, there's different reasons why they're tracking things. Just a little aside, Amazon is trying to put their smart Alexa into many home devices because they want to understand how you consume products. On the flip side, if a health system can have access to that data, then suddenly you can understand not only how they're consuming products, but like how those products products are impacting their health. As a matter of fact, an article just came out in Time Magazine talking about how well the Apple Watch can detect heart uh, problems. And this was based off of some early results of a research project. And it was talking about uh, detecting AFib in the general population. So Stanford was doing this and they've presented these findings at the American College of Cardiology last spring, published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So these are becoming things (laughs) that are real. It's just super interesting to me that like, you know, the reason you buy something may not be the reason that it's best for you to have it. And so it's like you want an Apple watch, but think about what that does, you know, potentially for your health. Think about internet things as like being the way as a, as a person, an individual, they're passively picking up information from you. The other piece of this, the third point he talks about is mobile and particularly mobile apps, right? Many people are now using apps to do a variety of things, tracking their food intake, tracking their running, tracking their their bicycling. I know you, you and I both use uh, apps that do these sorts of things. And that's more of an active measurement system. And those usually come in the apps that are in the on your phones or on your computers or whatever it might be. This adds another level of data that can be used for population health initiatives. So now we're thinking about three things. 
artificial intelligence, which is taking massive data sets and identifying trends, the passive collection of data through the Internet of Things, watches, etc., and then the active collection of data through apps and people, patients like us, putting information into apps. That together sets a really good table of how digital can be used in population health. But there are barriers. There are perceived and maybe even real barriers. First one, I mean, the stuff's not free, at least typically speaking. It costs something to it being very expensive. I, you know, I don't know. I, there's probably a wide range, obviously, depending on what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's dollars involved. Well, yeah. And a lot of the dollars are involved in trying to get that data collected and put into other systems. And that leads to the second point, which is interoperability. I mean, if we think about like the EMR as being the golden patient record, right? That's where you want to keep track of all of this health data. Wouldn't that be great if you can get all of these apps and other things into that EMR? Well, the EMRs themselves, they're very restrictive to get that information in, and they may not know what to do with it. I mean, not to mention that the EMRs are also looking at IoT and mobile as a way to get that information. But interoperability is the second one. Also, uh, you're very reliant on actual adoption, patient engagement and input and things like that. So, I mean, this is always the argument against like why you shouldn't build an app, right? Because then you got to get people to use it. Yeah. This is why it's hard to just spin up a new Twitter account and expect to have any followers and stuff. It's become such a noisy place to participate at the end of the day, to actually get the information, you have to have people involved. And you have to also trust that the data that they're inputting may be in an active way, right? Not the passive Fitbit kind of way, but in the way of like they're punching in what food they're eating and stuff like that, that the information they're reporting is actually accurate, actionable for from a health perspective. And of course, then it goes back to the other things. Whenever we talk about digital, whenever we talk about you know, these kinds of things, the last two barriers always are security. Are we sure that we're passing the data in a safe way? We're being protective of that information. If your Apple Watch is collecting that data, Apple gets that data as well as the health system, if that's a partnership. And then, of course, the last point, Reed, right, which is? Data sharing. We've seen that in the news a little bit here the last day or so with uh, some of the Google Ascension uh, stuff. You know, people get gun around the idea of, well, security, data sharing, all the privacy stuff, et cetera. So this is a really interesting white paper and a good one for those of us who are more healthcare marketing focused to actually download because it just gives you a good sense of what some of the trends are. Definitely encourage you to do that. But before we go to the interview, read this one last article that actually is discussing uh, someone that's actually a near and dear friend to the network. Yes. She's actually been on a different show of ours. Yeah. Data Point with Greg Matthews has uh, had Jane Searson Kine on the show. Gosh, it's been a little while now, but it was a, it was an amazing episode. Uh, you know what? It was actually, I bet it was close to a year ago. But in any case, she's got a new book out that tie a lot of these thoughts uh, together. The book is called Health Consuming, From Health Consumer to Health Citizen, and she outlines uh, thoughts on how the new digital natives, those, those of us as consumers that are using digital now and it's now part of our lives, are actually also driving the convergence of digital health, health consumerism, and health and social policy. And she actually outlines four ideas, four thoughts about why this is happening So let's cover them really, really quickly here. The first one, the first idea is simply that patients are increasingly becoming consumers because they have an increasing responsibility for their cost of care. And she actually said, you know, the reality is the patient is forced to be a consumer with their high deductibles and coinsurance. She's not casting a dispersion if that's good or bad. She's just saying the reality of that. So the patient is the payer, is the consumer, is one of those thoughts or ideas that is actually driving that convergence. That kind of makes sense to me, right? We have a bigger share of wallet. Yeah, absolutely. The second thing she talks about is uh, consumers are looking for two things as they make spending choices. Value, so how do you get the most for your money? And values, what's meaningful and important. That really connects the next idea of digital health tools changing the healthcare experience. 
She calls it being Amazon primed. She actually uses that as a status, right? I am Amazon Prime now. What she's expecting is service and value together. The third point is, is how do you do that? She brings that up as being, she does that within her community, with retail health touch points, with all the different things that she does online, any of the interactions that she has. If you think about that, she's outlining an environment, a community that's based in the cloud and in digital platforms. Finally, the fourth point, with all the increasing use of digital tools, she talks about that we're creating really an unprecedented amount of data that our current systems are just not that well equipped to handle. And think about all the different, I mean, back to that point earlier about interoperability, that data is being tracked in many different systems in many different ways. If someone could figure out how to tie all that together into one record about an individual, they probably would not be working in healthcare. They probably would start up a health tech company and make billions of dollars and sell that into advertising, <laughs> That's right. frankly. That's right. But that is kind of the future state. And this is what she outlines in her book. And Jane has promised to come onto our show in the future. But the interview we have coming up is actually not with Jane. It's actually with, again, as we talked about, Dan Dunlop and Kate Gilmer from Jennings Health. They together have worked on a a couple of health systems on helping to drive digital marketing efforts, traditional digital marketing efforts that we know of, and population health initiatives. And we had a chance to sit down at the most recent Mayo Clinic social media conference. Let's give a listen to that interview right after this break. Okay, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. And today, finally, (laughs) we have some people from Jennings Health on the podcast with us. Um, Particularly, Dan, you and I have been talking for years. And I know you've been on a panel session in the past, but you're you're on the show today, which is exciting. And you brought a special guest. Yeah, Kate Gilmer. Yeah, and we are actually meeting up here at uh, the Mayo Clinic Social Media Conference. I actually just sat through your presentation on how population health and marketing works together, and I was like, I need to get an interview with you all. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And why don't we start with if those very few people that are listening and that don't know you, Dan, and may not know you, Kate. Let's start with introductions. Dan, you want to start? Sure. I'm Dan Dunlop, and I vowed I would never come on this podcast, but but here I am. <laughs> Chris twisted my arm, and he, well, he came to our session and tweeted nice things, so I said, all right, I'll do it. I'm a healthcare marketer um, and do a ton of content marketing and strategy work, and I work for a firm called Jennings, and that's it. And Kate? I'm Kate. I work for Jennings. Uh I've worked for Jennings for about seven years, and I came on board right as Jennings was formally declaring themselves a healthcare marketing. I think the bulk of their business at that time was healthcare, so they decided just to drive a stake in the ground and Mm -hmm. formally declare it. And so it was a really interesting opportunity to to learn what this was all about and then get more involved. Get more involved. And some of the ways you got more involved is actually what we're going to be talking about today. Exactly. Uh, Which is interesting. Reed and I have talked a lot about how digital and digital marketing kind of blurs the lines into various different aspects of a health system. Today, we're actually driving deep around population health. And that was what your presentation was about. So let's start with that. Let's talk about population health. And um, Mm -hmm. maybe we'll start first with get a good understanding of your guys' definition of what that is. Can we start with that? Sure. In, in the presentation, one of the things I mentioned was everybody has their own definition of population health. And I, the simple way I like to think of it, and everything with me is simple, um, it's looking at a geography and saying within that geography, are there pockets of people you know, that are geographically defined who share certain commonalities regarding their health? And in particular, with, with poor health. So what, what are they having to deal with? Is it hypertension? Is it asthma? Whatever it might be. And then looking at how we address the health of those populations. Mm-hmm. Sounds a lot like when you describe it until you talk about addressing the health. It sounds a lot like what marketers do. Isn't that right, Kate? We identify audiences, right? And we try to get to understand what they want to, what, what their needs are? Sure. It's really important to take a look at your patient panel or your pr- potential customers and figure out what are going to be those solutions that are mm-hmm. going to make the biggest impact to their challenges, mm-hmm. whether that's a, a patient panel in a particular city or if it's your potential customers. 
how are you going to best connect with them and make the biggest impact in their lives? You know, I'm glad you mentioned marketing, Chris, because I was at this conference, the Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic Social Media Conference in 2011. Mm -hmm. And my friend Dan Hinman, who you know, did a presentation on the transformation of healthcare and how, how the way hospitals get compensated is going to change from the fee-for-service to more of a value-based compensation plan. And it was funny, you know, he did a 45-minute presentation, did a terrific job, and at the end, one hand shot up from the audience, and there was this woman, and she said, what are we going to do? Because he had just spent 45 minutes talking about, we're going to try to keep people out of hospitals, we're going to try to keep them healthy and well and informed and engaged in their own health. And she's thinking, well, we do service line marketing, so what's our job going to be right. five years from now? And unfortunately, it's taken a long time for this transition to happen, and it's still not happened. You know, for a lot of hospitals, they aren't in the in the value based compensation world yet, but they will be. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Our presentation today was really about addressing her question. What will we do? And one of those things is we'll collaborate with whoever's driving these population health initiatives and help promote them and help make them successful for our organizations. Well, now I'm getting a little nervous about that because in my experience, and I've been in healthcare a long time, Dan um, and Kate, it's like I maybe have sat across the table from population health people as many times as I can count on one hand, yeah. right? It's not often that we as marketers spend uh, spend time with them. What are some of the things that are top of mind to them? I understand population generally, right, as a category of making people healthy, but what are some of the drivers? So a lot of our health is not determined in the doctor's office, um, and it's pretty common to sit around in these meetings when you're talking to popula population health people in a health system. For them to start talking about these internal programs that they can launch. So what can a health system do to improve heart disease in their community? But the bulk of what's going to drive our health actually lies outside of the doctor's office in the community. So it's really about, are we living in communities that, that can give us healthy lives? Mm. Do we have access to healthy, nutritious foods or do we live in a food desert? Mm -hmm. Do we live in a community that's plagued by violence or do we feel like we are safe to be able to get out and exercise in our neighborhoods? So it's really not enough for, for a health system to, to sit around a table and launch an internal program. It's really about reaching outside of our organizations to start tackling the, the factors that really shape our health. The social determinants of health. You guys mentioned this in the, in the uh, presentation you gave. Dan, you asked a question, you know, what is one of the driving influences of a person's health? Yeah, and, and it's where you live. It is your, you answered, your, it's the zip code. It is the block you live on because so much about that environment impacts your health. Mm -hmm. You know, environmental factors, we showed a slide that had a, some kind of a graph and it showed that those, those socioeconomic factors are the largest driver of your health. It's, um, as Kate mentioned, do you live in a safe community? Do you have access to healthy, nutritious food? Mm -hmm. You know, all those things. Do you live in a, in a dirty apartment building where there are cockroaches and therefore your kids have asthma and you might have asthma? Those are the social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. They're going to determine whether or not you're healthy or not. So just treating them, as Kate said, in a clinical environment doesn't solve those problems. It's, it's reaching out into the community and health systems can play a big role in that, but reaching out into the community and embracing community organizations, partnering with them, collaborating to address these issues. Because the, the community organizations are like, you know, they have their boots on the ground. They are there, they understand the community. In a way, the health system doesn't. But together, taking the resources from the health system and, and the knowledge that these community organizations have, and I mean churches, um, food banks, all those kinds of things, together they can address these social determinants. Again, I'm kind of struggling with this. How does marketing play a role in this? I mean, we're really good at uh, making sure we're creating great content for people to select health. Kate, what are some ways that you guys worked with hospitals to help them start to help you know, address these social determinants for health? So one of the big points from my and Dan's presentation was that marketers can, can really serve a huge role in building these community collab collaborations. There are limited resources to go around, and that's important to acknowledge. But it's also important to note that in communities, hospitals and health systems actually usually have more resources to work with than a lot of these other community organizations. 
So that's a really powerful seat to hold. And because they have those resources, if a marketing department or a hospital makes the request to reach out and convene a bunch of community advocates or different organizations to work together, that request is more likely to be granted if it comes from the hospital than if it comes from any of these other community groups. And so a big part of that is building these partnerships and building these collaborations and marketers are natural at building community. It's a big part of what we do, whether it's on social media, whether it's through community outreach and inviting people into our hospital, it's such a key role of what we do. And so one of the stories we told was Copley Hospital. It's this hospital located in a very small town in Morrisville, Vermont. Um, the hospital only has about 25 beds and they have a very small marketing team, only two people to handle all of the hospital's community outreach, fundraising, and marketing activities. But they noticed that there were a lot of different organizations in their community working on similar related issues, but no one seemed to be working together. They were each working in their own lane rather than coordinating their efforts. So the marketing team at Copley Hospital invited all of these different organizations to work together on a project. And they decided it would be a community health blog, which would be great for them because they needed to reach a large geographic area uh, with a small population. Um, And it would be an opportunity to allow all of these organizations to publicly come together and start a conversation about what it means to be healthy and how all of these different factors like your access to transportation or childhood trauma or mental health how all of these contribute to our overall health i would imagine well i don't know in my mind i'm thinking you're in you're across the table from these people that probably haven't interacted with marketing as much as marketing has you're coming to them with all these tools and techniques was there ever like sort of where you had to basically level set and say, look, even though these are marketing tactics, quote unquote, they're actually good community building tactics. Did you have to deal with that? So a big part of what we did when we first started the project is we just invited all of these different groups in Mm -hmm. and we simply invited people to start talking to each other to Mm -hmm. see that on the base level, they really were all working toward the same goal. And then Dan and I were involved because we were at this meeting as everyone was meeting establishing these relationships and we were there to give them some training in terms of this blog so helping them figure out what they were all going to write about and that they would approach this project with a unified vision but we were really there to demystify the marketing process and show them that really at at its base it was just they were all working toward the same thing and certain marketing tools could help and we were there to coach them through that but it was pretty approachable. And I think if you're working in population health at a health system or even a small hospital, mm-hmm. you're so grateful for the help. In this case, the marketing team came up with this initiative on their own. Oh, wow. You know, they, they saw the community needs assessment. They understood the problems with opioid addiction, homelessness, all these different issues. And it's a long list of, list of issues in a very rural community in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, you know what, here's a strategy we can employ. We can do this ourselves without the help of any clinicians and get this thing rolling. And they did bring in people from different aspects of the hospital to be bloggers on their community blog. Mm-hmm. But in essence, it was something they could do on their own. And of course, the population health team is thrilled to have that kind of help. They never would have thought of a blog on their own. So, okay. so they were just grateful for the assistance. Wow, I mean, that sounds pretty pretty powerful, right? To, mm-hmm. to have this great concept that germinated into a really great execution. So what happened? I mean, tell us the results. We launched the blog. We invited some of Copley Hospital's practitioners to contribute their own blog posts. So we have some traditional healthcare content like meal planning or healthy recipes. Mm -hmm. But then we also got about 25 bloggers from maybe 12 different community organizations to contribute their own content. Mm -hmm. So as a result, we have this really holistic conversation happening online on the Live Well Lamoille blog. That's what it's called. And it's this great shared community discussion. And Copley's Hospital, their, their logo is certainly on the side of it. Um, but it's this great, unique space where all of these organizations are contributing content. 
Wow, that's awesome. And the readership, I mean, Kate can speak to the data, but um, it's had a significant impact and, and great reach within Lamoille County, which is our target audience. And, it, and it's a very rural county, so it's a little tricky when it comes to social media. I mean, this isn't like a big Twitter community, right. but Facebook works in that community. Sure. You don't have these huge metrics when you compare the results to something like a Boston hospital, which would obviously have a much larger population. But in Lamoille County, they have, I think it's about 10,500 households in their entire county. And we were able to reach over 3,500 unique users. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Wow. And we take that as a sign of success because our big goal isn't to get metrics just for the sake of being Mm -hmm. able to count blog views. But we, we really view it as an opportunity to see that people are reading our content. We look at the engagement metrics, how, how long are people spending reading blog posts. That has really increased. And so we take it as a sign that people are engaging with the information and hopefully having conversations with their family members about health um, and hopefully even changing their behaviors. Hmm. And I, I think the biggest victory in this, you know, beyond the readership and the impact of the, the healthy information we're sharing with consumers, is for the first time in this small community, you have all these different organizations, all with great intentions, coming together, sitting around a table, sharing ideas and collaborating on projects. Who knows what kind of side projects this has stimulated, you know, and we don't know. But we, we have sat at the table with all these people from these different organizations, and it's amazing to see them meeting each other for the first time in a tiny community. Yeah. So the opportunities now for that community to to address the social determinants of health in a, in a thoughtful way have, have increased dramatically. Well, let me ask you something about this, um, because you make it, you're kind of painting a picture of where it it seems kind of straightforward, right? It's a little easy. Was it easy? Were there some challenges involved? It was easy in this circumstance. They, the the client, the the marketing department at Copley, because they are so small, they're really streamlined and they're able to just take action. So they were able to do this without a lot of um, interference from outside. Yeah. So it progressed really well. But I will tell you, this is not the case at every hospital yeah. in America. And not every hospital in America has embraced population health. Right. I mean, I was talking to a client not long ago and presented some population health marketing related ideas and and the client told me in no uncertain terms we're not in the population health business really they're still they're still in transactional health care you know mm. fee for service and and so i was told very clearly that population health is not a direction they want to go with any of their marketing uh-huh. to me that's really short-sighted yeah um because hospitals that are taking these initiatives you know the the visionaries who are saying we need to get out in the community we need to put blend our resources with those of these community organizations to address population health challenges they're visionary because they're reducing the cost of health care and that's where the future is going right oh, I mean, in our industry and that's yeah. that's really what we're trying to address here if you think about it and once again you're re- you're reaffirming that marketing is kind of blurring its lines now it's no longer just about patient acquisition and branding it's now about things that are much more important and impactful to the consumer. Okay, so I'm kind of sold, bought and sold on Good. this. But uh, you know, many people listening in, they may think, well, I want to get started on this path. Do you have any like little tips that you can share them, like one or two? I'd say things? call Kate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really important to do your homework up front. Mm-hmm. So to think about what are going to be the barriers that you have to overcome along the way? Yeah. So in terms of Copley Hospital, we thought about what would prevent this blog from being successful. Mm-hmm. And that would be people would be getting busy and they wouldn't have time to continue contributing content. So we planned to make sure not to, not to ask anyone for too heavy of a lift. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of inviting so many different partners into this project was that we could structure the editorial calendar mm-hmm. in a way that each person only had to contribute one blog post per quarter. Mm. So we made it an easier ask, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To, to allow people to be able to say right. yes. We also do things like we try to write, pre-write social media content that will make it easy for them just to copy and paste and promote the blog post right. rather than expecting to do that on right. their own. 
Yeah, because you know what you created is something that you just—it's not like it has a finite ending. It, it goes it, forever. It keeps going. It's yeah. still alive, right? And you have to sustain it. So that's that's a really important tool, and, and give them the, the framework to be easy. I mean, we're always, you know, I always talk about like how busy we get, like doing all these things. Simplified. I mean, you have to manage a podcast. You're constantly having to think about what's the content. Well, it's the same with the yeah, blog. And yeah. one of the really great aspects of having so many bloggers or so many individuals contributing posts to the blog is that they want readership. Yeah. You know, they want to see their, and each one of them has their own social network right. in this small community. So we encourage them and we are very blatant in our encouragement and we train them how to use social media so that they can promote the blog. And so that, and, and we also tell them and we explain to them that, you know, this is a community. The bloggers around this table, you're a community and you need to support each other. Early on, nobody's reading this thing. You're not getting any comments. It's frustrating and it's very lonely. So comment on each other's posts, support each other. Till we can get this thing rolling, you know, encourage each other and, and that others will follow that because you know how it is. Yeah. If you start commenting, other people will comment. Yeah, that was a super pro tip that you said, right? Is that blogging is a lonely activity. <laughs> it is. Uh, and, you know, I might even say that our podcasting or at least the initial stages of podcasting is also a very lonely activity but um, th this is really fascinating really cool stuff okay so people listening in they may want to get to know you guys a little bit more find out how to learn a little bit more about the work you do maybe even you know you can talk to them a little bit some of the projects you've done what's the best way for them to reach out to you okay you, you can find me on Twitter I'm at Kate underscore underscore Gilmer G-I-L-L-M-E-R mm -hmm. and I'm also active with the Jennings Health Twitter account mm-hmm and Dan? You just Google Dan Dunlop and you'll find me. Yeah. It's, it's on Twitter. It's at Dan Dunlop. I'm on most social platforms, so I'm easy to find. That's awesome. Well, we're going to link to everything in the show notes cool. so um, so people can reach out to you. Thank you so much for your time today. It was great. It was great to see the presentation, and I really appreciate you sharing all this great knowledge with our audience. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. All right, again, thank you so, so much to Dan Dunlop and Kate and everybody that, uh, well, everybody that was there when we when uh, they spoke at the Mayo Clinic Conference, I think had a lot of good feedback as well, but it's always great to have them on the show. So appreciate their support and uh, willingness to come on. I, it was a really good show. We have a couple more interviews from the conference that we're going to talk about um, or that we're going to feature in the near future. So stay tuned. And at the other conference, the Healthcare Internet Conference, we have a couple more interviews there as well. So lots of great stuff coming up. And just stay tuned. I'm excited as we roll into the end of the year here, Reed, that there's really great content. And we're going to go into 2020 with also really good content, too. Absolutely. Speaking of the end of the year, do not forget about the listener feedback and award show that we'll be doing towards the end of the season. So be looking for that survey. Again, it's like a short five questions, the best I remember. Best guest, best episode, biggest fan, stuff like that. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun little survey, uh, gives us some relevant feedback on how we're doing and makes for a fun show as well. So be looking for that on the interwebs soon. And just remember, just because you, uh, for the two previous winners of the the biggest fan, unfortunately, it's not an, an award you can win multiple times. Uh, it's it's more like a hall of fame of the Touchpoint fans. Well, I, maybe you can win it more than once, but you know we're too early on at this point. So we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Well, before we get out of here, let's maybe do a couple of recommendations. What do what do you uh, what do you have today? I'm going to recommend something that is a thing, but it's not something that you can actually go buy at one shot. My wife and I, we actually have a, an unfinished basement that we use for a lot of storage. And when we moved in, we realized we wanted to turn it into a home gym. And I know that when you think about a home gym, you know, you buy that treadmill that suddenly becomes like a clothes hanging device, right? You'd never use it. We actually put down some mats. We got some some weights. Uh, we got a couple of the, you know, stability balls. And one of the most important things is we put in a, an Alexa device so you can actually stream music or you can actually, you know, um, use it as a speaker uh, for other things. 
So my recommendation this this uh, week is make yourself a home gym and then actually use it. Actually go down and use it. We try to use it four to five times a week. Even getting like 20 minutes every so often, it just really is helpful. You come home from work, do a quick 20 minutes. There's a lot of great exercises out there on YouTube that you can go just get a good video, just follow along. It's probably one of the best investments in our house, I think, and I really enjoy it as a way to relieve stress, as a way to stay healthy, and ultimately as a way to really bond with your significant other if you have the time. There you go. That's a great, great, great suggestion. I am going to recommend something I can't pronounce. I, I think it's Glue Maps. It's G-L-O-O-M-A-P-S.com. Glue Maps, Glow Maps, Glue Maps. The reason I think it's Glue is the parent company is called Hot glue, like G-L-O-O, which would make kind of sense. Well, hot, hot glue, the parent company is like a UX wireframe prototyping tool, but this is totally free called glue maps. Um, and you can like lay out like a site map for whatever you want. And it's free. You don't have to set up an account. You don't have to log in. When you save it, it's really kind of an interesting UI. When you save it, it's good for 14 days. But every time you revisit, it gives you a unique URL when you save it. And so anytime you revisit the URL, it extends it 14 more days. You can like kind of mess around. And again, it's it's not over the top. There's not a lot of tools, there's not a lot of features. But if you're just trying to kind of lay out the structure of a site, it's just a real simple way to do it. And they didn't overcomplicate it with a lot of stuff. And you can share it with team members. They can then mess around with it because, again, there's no login. So if you have the URL, you can edit the site. Anyway, so it's just kind of a cool free little tool that's useful. It's kind of one of those things that's like, you know, when you need it, like this is what you need kind of a thing. And uh, anyway, I'm working on something right now for a client and I needed to just get visually down what their current sitemap looked like and then allow us to talk about those elements and what needed to stay and go or how to restructure some stuff because it's not a real big website. You know, you wouldn't, this wouldn't be terribly helpful if you had like hundreds of pages. But um, if you're you know, building a smaller site or you're, you're wanting to kind of think through the structure of maybe your top line navigation or something like that, this could be a, a good way to do that. That's awesome. You always find these great online tools to help with like when you're creating digital projects and stuff like that. So I really appreciate that, Reed. Well, it's uh, it's pretty neat. And you, you can export it to like a PNG or a PDF or something like that too if, if you wanted to print it off and take it to a meeting or something like that. So, well, there you go. Uh, another great episode of Touchpoint in the books, number 146. And uh, we're, we're closing in on 150, which is another big number. So we need to think about that. Maybe we do something a little bit special in that episode. I don't know. But uh, we appreciate everybody joining uh, touchpoint.health is the website again rate review subscribe tell your friends tell your neighbors for chris boyer i'm reed smith and we'll see you next week this has been a touchpoint media production to learn more about this show and others like it please visit us online at touchpoint.health